0: Good morning, CBC. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Let's respond to the goodness of our God together. Come on.
1: We lift this up, everyone.
0: Battle belongs to God, amen. Scripture says that we're going to introduce a new song to you this morning. So, Scripture tells us in Psalm 96 1, it says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Church, as we introduce this song, it's called We Praise You. It reminds us to keep our eyes on Jesus no matter the season, the storm. we we may find ourselves in the middle of. And we could be in a position where we're asking God to do something for us, to get us out of this battle, to have victory in this battle. While God can certainly deliver victory, we understand that God is working behind the scenes and sometimes allows us to go through things, through fires to refine us, to grow us in our faith, to complete the plan, the purpose that he has for not only us, but for those around us. And so as we sing this song, it says, praise be the weapon that silences the enemy. Praise be the weapon that silences the anxiety around me, that I can trust in a God who is able to save, who is able to redeem, who is able to restore, and who has a plan and a purpose. And God, we submit to that purpose that plan here today, even if it doesn't look like what we want it to look like. God, we understand that you work far beyond our nearsightedness. Amen. So I'm going to teach you the chorus. It goes like this. We'll see you break down every wall. We'll watch the giants fall. For you cannot survive. When we praise you, the God of breakthroughs on our side. Forever lift Him high, with all creation, great God, we praise you. Oh, we praise you. Oh. Silence is the
1: i
2: Good morning, good morning. Before you take a seat, say hi to someone around you. Say hi to someone around you, and then I promise you can sit down. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Cypress Bible Church. So glad that you have chosen to worship with our church family today. Uh, If this is your first time here, or if you've been here for a while, or if you've been here for a long time, if you look on the back of the pews, there is a QR code, uh, and what you can do is if you... Have any questions about who we are as a church if you can use prayer which we all can if you would like someone on staff or an elder to reach out to you to love and encourage you or anything uh, that pertains to this church if you take a picture of that qr code that is the best way to engage with us and if you don't want to take a picture of the qr code we always welcome you to come to our welcome center and we can take your name and info down that ways but Technology is always easier, so I encourage you to use that QR code. Here at Cypress Bible Church, we begin where we are and we become more like Jesus. And so wherever you are in your spiritual journey, this is a great place to be. Because we are all running in one direction together as a church family. So again, welcome. As a church, we really have some values we embrace and that. One is we gather together as a church family to worship God corporately. We grow together through relationships and the study of the Word to know God more. But we also go together. All that we do as we grow, as we gather, we take that and we use that to proclaim the name of Jesus to a lost and broken world. And in the midst of all of that, we use our gifts and our talents that the Lord gives us through the Holy Spirit to help build up this church as we serve to make this bride beautiful for the Lord. Uh, Not many announcements today, but I am excited that we are beginning a new series. My good friend Dave Munsinger is going to be preaching the next few weeks on a series called Redemptive Relationships. Because relationships are really easy, right? Well, good. We have the Bible to tell us how to deal with them. Uh, And so I encourage you to come. We have booklets available in the lobby if you want to grab one. And I'm just excited to see what God will do as we study through Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 together. Uh, This morning, I do want to pray for those that are unaware. Tony and Lisa are leading a team in Ireland as they are going, one of our church values. But also, we have a team of students, young adults, and less younger adults uh, that are at Camp Beloved and Beyond serving an amazing group of people with special abilities. And so I'm going to pray for them, and we're going to continue to worship our amazing Lord together. Father God, thank you so much that we can gather together as a church family to worship you. We thank you for that privilege and honor. And right now we do come before you praying for Tony and Lisa as they are leading a team to proclaim your name in Ireland. That you will give them the energy and encouragement and refreshment as they are doing the gospel work of the ministry. We look forward to hearing the great stories that can be told upon their return. We also pray for our team that's at Camp Beloved and beyond. Lord, we thank you so much that you teach us in your word that all life has value, therefore we love all. Father, as the ones created in your image, Lord, I thank you so much for our team of students and adults that want to go and be your hands and feet to those who have special abilities. Lord, we also look forward to hearing stories about how you moved at camp this week as they come back later this week. Lord, as we continue to worship today, may our worship be worthy. May you see our hearts. May our minds be plugged in. May we shut out the world and the craziness that it brings and focus solely on you. And as we leave today, Lord, may we be encouraged knowing that you are with us and that you are for us. God, we do truly desire to become more like your son Jesus in all things. And so may we feel your presence here today. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Would you
0: stand at your feet? Let's continue to worship. Let's continue to fix our eyes on Jesus, our foundation, we say.
1: Worthy of every song."
0: Let's be reminded of that, of who our foundation should be, what we should be filling ourselves with, so that way we would reflect Christ, that God, that the fruit that we would bear is life-giving, that no matter the storm, no matter the circumstance that may be before us, we trust in a God who is able that we would not sway in our faith, but be strengthened by the confidence of your word. God, we thank you for this time of worship that we just had to exalt you for who you are and all that you have done, God. Continue to allow us to abandon ourselves and our wants and our needs for your glory so that way you can do a work in us and to those around us, as that song just said. God, we thank you, we love you, we pour all of our praise out to you this morning. It's in your son's powerful name that we pray this, and everybody in the house said together, amen.
3: Well, good morning, Cyprus Bible Church. It's so good to be with you. You are the beloved of God, and we're going to be taking a look at God's holy word today in Ephesians chapter 4, looking at relationships I hope that you are able to pick up one of our study books, and uh, it will be an aid and assist to you as you listen to the Word today, and also, if you are in a group, you can use this booklet for your group meetings as you study God's Word along with the sermon series. The title of this series is called Redemptive Relationships, and the reason for that is because that's what you see going on in the book of Ephesians. We're going to jump into this a little deeper, but the first three books of Ephesians, it's all what's known as the indicative. It's what God has done for us. But then in chapters 4, 5, and 6, God turns the indicative into the imperative, meaning because of what Christ has done for you, here and now is how you are to live in relationships. And so chapter 4 is all about our relationships with basically our neighbors how we're to conduct ourselves with all the people that we meet, just like the Dr. Seuss book, Feet, 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 oh, the places that we go, the people that we will meet. And then in chapter 5, he'll continue that theme, but then he focuses on marriage, and that's where we're going to go at our next time. And then chapter 6, he talks about the family relations in verses 1 through 9. But the theme here is going to be redemptive relationships. Now, the artwork that you see here I'm really pleased with. Our uh, communications media director, her name is Ashley Ebert, and I think she's just knocked it out of the ballpark on this. I said to her, here's what I'm going after, um, is the, the, everyone has this sense, and if you do have your booklet, it's right there in the introduction on the first page, but everybody has this idea that we want a perfect relationship, the ideal relationship. Nobody walks down the altar thinking, well, this is going to be really rough and we're just going to have a lot of really hard times and I don't know why I'm doing this, right? Everybody walks down the aisle thinking, this, I'm marrying the, the, the person that God has made for me and this is a beautiful relationship. And we even have that same sense about friendships, right? Everybody wants to have a bestie, a BFF, a best friend. We all want our relationships to go really well when someone takes a new job, there's that sense of, oh, this is going to be so much better. We want the ideal. But we see this also in the garden, in chapters 1 and chapter 2, but it ends abruptly. Paradise in perfection is still to us a memory. We know what perfection is. God has planted that in the hearts of everyone. The problem is we live in a sinful, fallen world, and we're full of sin ourselves. Our pride, our ego comes before everything else. And so what happens is our relationships are prone to discord and disunity, hurt and pain, heartache. And so that's why you see in all these images of the different relationships that we're going to look at, whether it's marriage and parenting or friends, there's that white line through all of them, meaning they're all going to be broken. So how do we live in light of this? How do we relate to other people when we know that there's gonna be brokenness? And so I love this artwork that it kind of portrays this for us. Now, we've mentioned all of these relationships that we have. One that I didn't even list on here is interests, okay? For example, if If you went to a college, let's just pick a random college like A&M. We were expecting that. And love you all for it. Um, You have an interest, all right? You could say it's academic, but you're no longer in school. And so people identify over self-interest. We like the Astros. We're, We're rooting for our college football team. And the relationship only goes as far as that personal interest. But where are those people when your marriage falls apart, your dad dies, uh, your, your kids are giving you trouble, uh, you lose your job. Are those people going to be there who like to root for the same baseball team as you do? No, so you have to go, well, what's the purpose of the relationship? Every relationship that you're in, you're constantly, and you should be asking, what is my purpose in this relationship? Why is this person in my life? Now, I'm kind of weird, I get it, but when I bought our house over in the Klein area. I still do this every now and then. I'll stand out there in my front yard. My dog likes to go out to the bathroom in the front yard because the front yard's better than the backyard. It's true for all dogs. Um, and I'll just stand out there and I'll go, okay, there's the White Houses, there's the Fritzes, um, here's the Rizzos. Um, I, I just name off all the neighbors on my cul-de-sac and I say, Lord, why am I on this street? Yeah, I like the house, but why, why these people on my cul-de-sac what is What is my purpose in their life? We need to be asking that question um, and, and and when we're asking that question, then we know how then to engage people in relationship if we thought through the nature and the purpose of having a neighbor even now as we jump into the text here, the Bible is not a set of helpful tips for how to you to have better relationships, be successful, or have better conversations. Um, It's really about, um, you know, that's what I really want to be. I want to be a people magnet. I mean, I mean, I mean, people buy these books so they can have tips. What we're going to look at here is, no, how do do you, how do you change in order to be that person that God wants you to be? And so that's where Paul's going here today. Now, I misspelled this word here, fourth word. People don't care how much you know, but how much you care. And this is going to be the central verse of all three of our sermons in this series. It's um, Ephesians chapter 5. But be imitators of God. Everything that's in brackets, I put there for emphasis. Be imitators of God because you are dearly loved children. So live your life relating to other people just like Christ did by loving us and sacrificing himself to honor the Father. You'll see that, one, that, that second clause there, so live your life. The Greek word there is peripateo. You'll see some translations that say as you walk, meaning as you walk through life. And it's going to occur in, in verse 1 of chapter 4, verse 1 of chapter 5, verse 17 of chapter 4, and also again in other places in chapter 5. Paul here is saying, because of what Christ has done for you, right? You are beloved children. Because of that, be imitators of him as you go about your life. And so that's the whole point of the title, redemptive relationships. What's the purpose of every relationship in your life? It's for you to be a redemptive agent. And you are motivated by the grace of Christ. So let's take a look, and if you have your booklet, you'll see that um, the text is also in your booklet on page 6, and you'll see that each of the different points that we're going to be making is related to uh, the text here that's in front of us. So let us read the, the word together. Hear now God's word. Therefore I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all and in all. Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we're here to look at your word. We want it to speak to us. We want to see your truth, and we want your grace to be revealed to us at how we are to live in light of all that you've done for us, Father. We just pray here in these remaining moments that you would open up our hearts and minds and we would walk in your truth and grace because of it. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this text here um, gets at what I've been telling you about is these indicatives and the imperatives. Why does this matter? Motivation. Why are you to be a... How are you supposed to live your life as a Christian? Just to be a good person? Just to be a nice guy? No. No. You're to be a good Christian. You're to be an imitator of God. Why? Because you are a dearly loved child because of everything that God has done for you. You are now to live in response to live like Christ. And so you see here that he spends three chapters, and even what we just read there in verses 1 through 7, most of that's in the indicative, right? He says, I urge you as a prisoner in the Lord to live your life, to walk about this life worthy of the calling. That's the imperative. It's a charge. Here's what you're supposed to do. Why are you supposed to do it? Because of everything that God has done for you in Christ. So, before we continue any farther, let me just tell you and summarize chapters 1, 2, and 3. Why don't you just listen? Here is what God has done for you. The Father has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He has chosen us before the foundation of the world. He has predestined us to adoption as sons. He has made us acceptable in his presence. He's redeemed us by the blood of Christ. He's forgiven us all of our sins. He's revealed to us the mystery of his will. He has given us an eternal inheritance. He has predestined to accomplish his purposes, which we have been sealed for eternity by the Holy Spirit. He has given us his wisdom and knowledge. Christ has made us spiritually alive when we were once dead. He has freed us from our sins and from the devil. God has shown us mercy when we deserved wrath. He has saved us by his grace and raised us up to sit in heavenly places with Jesus. And he has done this by the riches of his grace because we are his workmanship, created in Christ to do good works. He has made peace with us and made us one with God. He has reconciled us to himself. He has made us citizens of heaven and given us a heavenly home. Christ has now given us a bold confidence in which we have access to the Father, and Christ dwells in our, ho- in our hearts, and we have all the fullness of his love. Chapters 1, 2, and 3. Has God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit done a great deal for you? And now, here in these next three verses, all he's saying is, "Can't you just be nice to other people?" No, seriously. Look at all he has done for you. He has, he has changed the cosmos for you. He has shown you a love and a grace that you do not deserve. Therefore, would you live like it and in response? So everything that's being said here in this pat and in, in, in all of these next chapters, 4, 5, and 6, is a response to what God has done, and that's why we live the Christian life, and so he comes back here, and this is, this is actually creedal formulation. Paul's writing this in 62 AD. The Apostles' Creed, if you line up, and I did have a slide, and I threw it out. If you line up the Apostles' Creed with this, it's, it's almost identical. You can see right where they got it from, and the Apostles' Creed the first known writing of it was 120 A.D., just 58 years later. So, so what's been said here in verses 4, 5, and 6 was a common statement of the churches of that time, and the Church of Jesus Christ has been saying it when they gather for worship and in their regular life forever. Why? Because it so summarizes that we have a Trinitarian faith and our only hope is in Christ and what he has done for us. And that reminds us that we are one body of believers, that we are in this together with Jesus. We as Christians stand against the world to seek and to fulfill God's redeeming purposes on this earth. And if that doesn't get you excited and get you up and out of bed, I can't think of anything more better than that. Maybe the hopes of the Astros going to the series. Okay, which, which is really wonderful, but it's trivial in comparison to God's eternal purposes for our life. So, summarize the first point of the redemptive basis of relationships. Because what I'm trying to do here is show you the basis of why we have to be a redemptive agent in all of our relationships. He says there in point B, your behavior should be humble, gentle, patient, loving, and forbearing. This is how Jesus acted. And I can tell you from 30 years of marriage that my wife will tell me, Dave, if you wouldn't think of yourself first, i.e., be humble, if you would just be gentle and kind and patient and kind of tolerate people and me, we wouldn't have any relational problems. Okay? And I, I can tell you every time in every relationship that I have, if I'm just kind and patient and forgiving there's almost never any relational discord. And that's what the apostle is saying here. So, so just, I, I kind of do this as a mantra. Okay, Dave, be humble, be gentle, be patient, be loving, tolerate others, okay, great. Okay, so our goal though is in all relationships to seek, he, he urges us to seek unity and peace in all of our relationships, okay? Second point, sinful human relationships. Okay, now the dark side enters, right? Now we have to be confronted with the reality of this world. Therefore, I say this and testify in the Lord, you should no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God, Because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts, they've become callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. So here's the thing. Know that you may be a Christian, but this same sinful corruptness still dwells in you. And he's saying, you, you've got to fight against this. And he's going to get that to the third point. But he's telling us, it's a nasty landscape of humanity out there. People by nature are, are, are driven to be selfish. They walk in the futility of their thoughts. Now, Seneca, the Stoic um, of that time, would have disagreed with Paul. He would have said, no, I am a very fine moral person. I'm trying to engage in self-control. Paul would say, all of your things are futile because you're not doing it for the glory of God right? You, that's what he means, futility of your thoughts. If your thoughts are not on God, not on Christ, not on his accomplished work, your thoughts are doing things or thinking things because of Christ, those are futile thoughts because they don't serve an eternal purpose. Therefore, they're, they're going to just blow away. They're just going to be all dust. So their minds are darkened because they don't know the light of Christ, They walk in ignorance. And so, just to remind you, it's a crazy world out there. And it's constantly tempting us. Right? You're supposed to look like this, act like this. You're supposed to have fun. Your life should be something else other than what Christ calls you to be, which is humble and kind and pure and caring and forgiving. And so what he's saying here is, he says, don't walk like the Gentiles do. And some of those Gentiles were Egyptians, right? And you might remember that song by the Bengals back in the 80s and everybody walked like an Egyptian. We all did it. It was fun and it was campy. But we have to remember that we live in a world that people who are Gentiles, meaning that that they are not part of God's families, they're just living life on their own, they're not part of the covenant community, to them, pleasure is primary in this life. They don't think there is a God. Ethics are simply situational. Just do what you think is best. Do what feels good to you. Life is completely random. And you don't live for eternity. When you die, you just go back into the elements of this earth. So know that when you're dealing with people who are not Christians, this is their perspective. This is the futility of their minds. This is the darkness that they walk in. Okay? You have been now enlightened because of Christ. So he also is telling us, don't be a chameleon. Don't just go along to get along. Seeking unity and peace is different than just going along to getting along. That's just peer pressure and maybe compromising what you know is right and true. My father used to say to me, David, if everybody is going to go jump off the bridge, are you going to do the same? And he said, my experience is most people will tend to do the wrong things hurtful things damaging things and they try and get others to go along with them because they want company in their disaster he said you have to be a different man you have to do what is right and you need to know what's right in your heart now I feel like that was pretty godly um, instruction from my father really lifted right here out of the scripture so know that they are moving in sinfulness by their own earthly desires And the outcome is what's known as the banality of evil. I'd love to spend a whole sermon on the banality of evil, which means the commonplace of evil, where people think what is really truly bad, they think it's good and right. And I could start naming off a few things that we see in our world today, and you might think I'm going political. But there are some things that people have some very wrong thinking on, and it will ultimately lead to an evil society that's where this Gentile living will move to. Just study the empires and the histories of the world. Third point, be redeemed for relationships. So he says here next in verses 20 to 24, he says, but that is not how you came to know Christ. Assuming you heard about him, that's a rhetorical question he's saying here, and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Jesus to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. So what he's saying here is we've been redeemed. There is this renewal process going on because you know Christ. When Christ comes to reside in you, He is actively working to change you. And he says here that you're to put that former way of life, stop living like an Egyptian, and now be imitators of God. Why? Because of everything God has done for you. He's done so much for you. So he's saying to us, be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And this is key to us. Because this is where, ref, where, where we are reformed in our natures and in our attitudes and in our spirits. It's in the mind. It's what you put into your mind. It's what you think about. It's in what we read. Are you reading your Bible? The Bible is how God renews us because he tells us of who he is. He tells us how he wants us to live. Everything that's necessary for life and faith is contained in the holy scriptures of God. And so it renews us. It's also in what we talk about. Do we just spend our time talking about Astros and sports and mundane things? Or do we talk about the things of God? Do we talk about the things of church? Do we talk about how we see God changing people? Do we talk about how we're praying for people? What are we talking about? And then in what we value, we value the worship of the living God. That's why it's so important to come here every Sunday and gather as one body to worship the one God. We value the worship of the living God. We also value the ministry. One of the best things about VBS a few weeks ago is we were all in it together, right? I felt like I just had one little role. I was Barney Fife. I was on security detail, right? And trust me, we didn't have any security issues, right? But still, I just knew that I had a part in it, and I see everybody else serving, and we all witnessed that. It's all about the ministry. It's all about seeing, can 300 kids have a great experience in Christ and come to know Him? That's what we value, and it's what we believe. We believe that Christ can change a person, can take a Gentile who's walking like an Egyptian, and make him or her into an imitator of God. Redemptive relationships require this renewed mindset. I love this quote by Zig Ziglar. He says, if you go out looking for friends, you're going to find they're very scarce. If you go out to be a friend, you'll find them everywhere. To have a friend means you must be a friend. Your orientation and your attitude towards other people is I am engaging with this person to be their friend, regardless of how they treat me. Christ came into this world to save us, and he calls us brothers and friends. He came into this world to be in relationship with us. Therefore, if we go seeking to be a good friend to others, we will find that we will make friends. And I can tell you, if you're under 30 years of age, this generation is struggling with friendships. And a big part of it is they've never learned how to just be a friend. But the scripture here says it requires a renewing of our mind. It requires us to be looking at Christ and seeing how Christ relates to us. We now know how to relate to others because we are relating to Jesus. As you're relating to Jesus, you're understanding what relationship looks like, how it feels, how it should be conducted. And yes, this is Amy Grant and Michael W. Smith because they are friends forever because the Lord is the friend. How does it go? The Lord is the Lord of us. I can't remember. It was a great song from the 80s. (laughs) Redemptive relationships are renewing. This just came out of an article last month. Healthy friendships risk showing up in the flesh that's patterned on Jesus first and foremost. God is hungry for friendship with us, and when you're hungry for someone, you show up and pay attention to their lives and bear witness to them. And there are so many people in every church that they want to be in relationship with others. The mere fact that you're here, you're saying, I I I need good relationships in my life. And that's one of the things I loved about Jonathan today. Turn and greet those around you. We are to be in relationship. The people of God ministering to the people of God is a huge part of what the church is and ought to be. Lastly, the marks of redemptive relationships. Hang on, there's a lot here, but we're going to boil it all down for you. Therefore, putting away lying, speak the truth. Each one to his neighbor because we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't give the devil an opportunity. Let the thief no longer steal. Instead, he is to do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit you are sealed by him for the day of redemption let all bitterness anger wrath shouting slander be removed from you along with all malice and be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving one another just as god also forgave you you know when when he one one bible verse puts it really clear put these things off put these things on you see that there in the verse first verse first line therefore putting away, or put off all of these bad things, right? It's kind of like um, Mr. Miyagi in The Karate Kid. Wax on, wax off, right? Put off, put on. Notice here that the illustration is just like an illustration that he gives in Romans 13, verse 14. Um, This putting on is like putting on clothes, meaning that, that, that truth and peace working, sharing, speaking words of grace, you you clothe yourselves in this. You clothe yourself in Christ. Of all of your personal belongings, your clothes are most personal and closest to you. Therefore, when you conduct yourself, this is the way you're supposed to conduct yourself, and it's supposed to be close to you, and Christ is supposed to be close to you, because you're putting on Christ, and you're taking off Christ your sinful nature. What we see is relationships tend to go bad really fast, and therefore you need to be putting on Christ every day because the bottom line here is hurt people hurt people. If people have been hurt in this life, they tend to seek to hurt others. We can't fall into this trap, people, beloved of God. You've been hurt, but you take your hurts to Christ. He heals you. So when you encounter other people who have been hurt, you don't hurt them. So you are a redeeming agent. We're going to skip over Augustine, and let me just summarize these marks very easy. They're all commandments. That's all he's doing us here. He's reminding us of the commandments. He's saying, don't lie, but speak the truth. Why? Because we belong to each other. Don't sin and be angry but shed it, because if you don't, if you sin in your anger, the devil's gonna get a foothold in your life. Okay, you've got to learn anger management in the Lord. Don't steal, but work, because you can then work, provide for yourself, and share for others. You can do something good with your hands, rather than always being needy or taking from others. Don't speak foul words, but speak gracefully to others, because you'll build others up in Christ. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Shed all of these nasty things. Why should you shed your anger and your wrath? Because God forgave you and should have shown you wrath because you are a child of wrath, chapter 2. Don't show others wrath because God has not shown you wrath. So I just want to put this thing in here. Foul language is so common today. I can't watch a Netflix show or music. Foul language is everywhere. Let me just remind you, don't go along with the culture on this. This is like a special ad from the sponsor here today. It degrades God who is good. What God has made, He has declared good. Therefore, with your language, do not degrade God and the good things of God. Your Profanity, obscenity, vulgarity, it always degrades what God has created or God himself. Foul language reveals a feeble mind. I encourage you to be renewed in your mind and show that you do not have a futile, feeble mind with your language. And let's just conclude with this. Our primary friendship is with Jesus. How do we learn to relate to others? By relating to Jesus. Don't be desperate for relationships with people. Be desperate for your relationship with Jesus. He will teach you then how to relate to others. And here's the thing, folks. It's a stranger thing. Most people don't go through life wanting to redeem other lives. And if you've watched this show, the um, show Stranger Things, it's all about a bunch of kids learning to sacrifice each other, come together make amends with each other, forgive each other, work as a team for the purpose of saving the world from evil. What is, all it does is just reflects the church. What is our purpose, people? To come together, united as friends, forgiving each other for the sake of redeeming this world and saving it from evil. We can do it. We can do it by God's grace and through his strength. Now, let's just Stand, please, and we're going to conclude our our worship by singing to the Lord and being thankful that we are now friends with Christ. We are no longer friends with this world, but He lives in us and renews us. Amen.
0: Die when I come to die.
3: As you leave today, hear the benediction. By a hymn verse that comes to my mind comes from All Creatures of Our God and King, written by Assisi. In the fourth line, fourth verse, he says, All ye men of tender heart, forgiving others, take your part. Which was verse 32 that we've just looked at. Therefore, as we go through life, we forgive others. Why? Because Christ has forgiven us. So let us leave today knowing that we have been forgiven much and we have the ability to forgive others and to allow them to experience the wonders of his grace. Your dismissal.